Hey there, it's good to be with you today. I've been praying for you, love you. Hopefully you and your family are doing well. Uh, Today I just kind of wanted to continue our conversation. Uh, We're in this conversation, The Way of Change, and uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it up to John chapter 13 and kind of lay that in your lap. You can get there uh, on your phone. But that's where we're going to be today. Uh, You might be sitting there thinking to yourself today, hey, uh, we're going to continue on with the series. Uh, Aren't we going to change the conversation? And here's what I want you to know. I'm not unwilling to change the conversation in light of the present circumstances. But I was praying about it and thinking this way, that when we started this series, this conversation, The Way of Change, uh, I knew and know that God knew that we'd be walking through this. And so I just assume that... Uh, He knew we'd be walking through this as we did this series. And so I just want to kind of continue because I think there's some things that are really, really good for us to look at. When I was thinking about what I want to talk to you about today, a question came to my mind. I'm kind of curious as you're sitting there in your living room, the coffee shop, wherever you're watching this at, uh, do you have a go-to story? Does your family have one of those go-to stories? Here's what I mean. It's like that story that when you're all together, you always go to it, right? It was one of those stories that's so weird, so unusual. Uh, It's one of those stories that makes you laugh, that your family, when you're gathered, you always go to that story. Maybe when you're quarantined, you're kind of always going to that story. My family, we have one of those stories. And uh, if you promise not to tell, uh, it's about my wife. Uh, But uh, this story happened when my youngest was in middle school, early middle school, I think it was, and he and my wife had gone to a store over on Wooster Road. She was driving our van. He was in the passenger side. He didn't have his license yet. She pulled into the parking spot, and she was in such a hurry. She was so distracted, she hopped out of the van, and uh, she went in to do what she needed to do in the store problem was this she didn't put the van in park and somehow with my son still sitting in the passenger side and he was a big boy right that van started to drift back out of that parking spot and it started to go across Wooster Road my son was so big he couldn't reach over to get the brakes so he jumped out he thought about getting behind the van but it was rolling pretty good by that time so he just stood out in the middle of the road and he kind of stopped traffic and my wife's van just rolled right across the Wooster Road right into the neighbor's yard. If you happen to be the person that owns that home, we're sorry we intruded on that day. But that's a story we go to. It's fun to hear my wife tell it. It's fun to hear my son tell it. It's one of those go-to stories. I think, I think that for all of us, this year, 2020, is going to be a go-to story, right? Do you remember the year of the coronavirus when we were quarantined? Do you remember? It's going to be a go-to story, right? It's one of those things that kind of sticks out in your mind. When I think about Jesus' followers, right, first century, I think they had some go-to stories. And I think the passage we're going to look at today was one of those go-to stories. I think it was one of those moments in their experience with Jesus that literally would have been so unusual, so profoundly unique, that I can almost see them saying, do you remember the night when? And the story's found in John chapter 13. Here's what I want to do. I want to kind of look at this little go-to story that they would have had, and I want to look at it and kind of take the camera around the room, and I want to look at it in three different scenes. And I want to kind of ask these questions. When we look at those three different scenes, I want to look at what in the world did Jesus do? So Jesus is doing some unique things. And then as we look at that, I'd love to say, okay, what was his point? 
Jesus, as he does these things, he's, he's illustrating some things, he's showing them some things. And then I want us to say, what was his point in doing that? Now, in this passage, there's a context, right? And so I want you to get this. You might be newer to the Bible, or maybe you're like, what's going on here? In this part of the story of Jesus, they're getting ready to celebrate Passover. You're like, what's that? Well, for a Jew, that was like really, really important, right? That was a really important holiday, a really important celebration. Think uh, 4th of July, right? For them, it would have been remembering when they got liberated from Egypt. And it would have been their opportunity to say, thank you, God, for that, right? Thank you that we uh, gained freedom from our slavery in Egypt. So in John 13, Jesus is celebrating Pastor, he's coming together with his disciples. He wants to celebrate with his disciples this very important Jewish holiday. He also knows this. He also knows that the cross is getting really close, that it's getting really, really close, that his time is coming. And then we know this. We know this from Luke's account of this, that in the dinner that night, there's something interesting that was happening. The disciples are all gathered around this table with Jesus, and it says this, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, now, you got to like read this in color, right? You got to think about this, because think about the disciples in this very cherished holiday sitting around the table, and can you hear them arguing? Like, like James and John, they're brothers, right? And their mom is the one who said to Jesus, can, our, can my sons have the right seat and the left seat when you come into your kingdom? And you can almost hear them saying, we're the greatest. You can almost hear Philip saying, what do you mean you're the greatest, right? I'm the guy who brought the kid who had the loaves and the fish and you fed the 5,000. I'm the greatest. Peter saying, I'm the greatest. I hopped out the boat and walked on water for a little bit of time, right? Andrew saying, you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. Matthew saying, my story's better than all y'all's story. Literally, in this meal, his followers, his disciples are fighting about who's the greatest. And then Jesus does something profound. In John 13, here's what it says. It says that Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You get a most here pin drop. Can you imagine? They're fighting about who's the greatest. And can you imagine at that point, Jesus comes one by one, shows up to Andrew, Philip, James, John, and he begins washing their feet, taking the very nature of a servant, What in the world was Jesus doing? If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. Jesus, at that point in the story, is illustrating for them a whole different understanding of greatness. These guys had bought into what you and I, let's be honest, right? You and I buy into many times. And that's this understanding of greatness. This this wanting to be the greatest. And what Jesus wants them to see is that in his kingdom, In his kingdom, greatness is an upside-down concept. That's what he wants them to know. Like, he wants them to know this, that we, you and me, the disciples, we were taught that greatness is seeing how many people we can get to serve us. Jesus said, nope, greatness in my kingdom is about how many people you serve. The way that many of us are taught and the way we understand greatness is about climbing the ladder, right? 
Greatness, if you want to be great, you've got to climb the ladder. Jesus said, nope. In my kingdom, greatness is about taking a knee. For us, we think about greatness like, I want to be able to sit on the throne where I rule. And Jesus said, no, greatness in my kingdom is about taking up a towel. He says, fascinating, what was his point? Well, his point was this. Jesus' point was practicing the presence of Jesus. The way of change is humbly leveraging my life for the sake of others. Jesus said, if you want to be great, leverage your life for the sake of others. Serve. That's greatness in my kingdom. That literally it's upside down from what you understand. What does that mean for you and I? Well, can I just talk to some of you? Husbands? Husbands? If you're watching this and you want to be a great husband? I think what Jesus is saying is look for a way to leverage your life for the sake of your wife. For those of you wives who are watching this, if you want to truly understand what greatness is and you want to be a great wife, look for a way to leverage your life for the sake of your husband. Bosses. Bosses. You want to know what it means to be a great boss, like as somebody who's a follower of Jesus? I think what he's saying is leverage your life for the sake of those who even work for you. Parents. You want to be a great parent? I think what he's saying is look for a way to leverage your life for the sake of your children. I would say it this way. I think what Jesus is saying is this. Look for a way to serve others. Pastor Aiden talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Look for a way to demonstrate the attitude and the spirit of Jesus and serve others. Now listen close. Lean in. Not because they deserve it. They won't always deserve it. Jesus is serving people who didn't deserve it, right? He's saying serve others, not because they deserve it, and don't serve them in hopes that down the road they'll serve you. Can we be honest? That's selfish. And that might lead to expectations that lead to resentment and disappointment. But he's saying serve others. Leverage your life for the sake of others because we're following Jesus, God in the flesh, who leveraged his life for our sake. It's a fascinating story, right? John 13. But that's not all that's going on here. When I think about that night, Jesus is going around from person to person. Bartholomew, Andrew, Philip, he's washing their feet. But all of a sudden, the camera zooms in because there's somebody else there that night. You see what it says back in John 13? It says the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted who? Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to portray Jesus. It's fascinating because Jesus is going from person to person to wash their feet, and he comes to Judas. And you know about Judas. You've heard about Judas. Judas is the one who was already disenfranchised. He was already disenfranchised. Because he wanted Jesus to take over, right? To overthrow Rome. And we already know this, that he was kind of dipping in the money bag. So he's a little scoundrel, right? But then we know by this time, by this meal, when Jesus gets to him and kneels in front of him, he's already agreed for 30 measly pieces of silver to betray Jesus. You know what Jesus does anyways? He washes his feet. What's Jesus doing? I would write it down this way. Jesus is showing them a profound picture of mercy. That blows my mind. 
he kneels and washes the feet of the one who's betraying him. I don't know about you. I, I can't answer for you, and you're probably way better than me. But I can think of all kinds of things that I would have done at that moment, man. I probably would have taken that ba basin and I'd have planted it right on his head. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not sure what I would have done at that moment knowing that this guy, I'm washing his feet, he's going to betray me. And yet Jesus literally kneels and begins to lap the water over Judas' feet. How in the world? How in the world can Jesus do that? I think the secret is found in the verse right after it. Here's what it says. Jesus knew. Jesus' ability to do that was because he knew. Knew what? He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. What was Jesus' point? I, I think this is interesting and, and I, this is going to be hard for some of us to hear. Because some of us want to sit on the judge's bench with the judge's gavel. And yet Jesus showed us instead to take up the basin and the towel. What was his point? I think his point was this. That practicing the presence of Jesus is somehow humbly allowing God to settle the score. Jesus knew. And because he knew that God was in control, that God was working a plan, he could, he could demonstrate profound mercy at a moment when, when many would have struggled. Here's what I know. I would bet you, I would bet you that many of you watching this have Judases in your life. Yeah, people who have betrayed you. People who maybe are cruel to you. People who have deeply hurt you. And maybe even for some of you, you've extended the basin and the towel, so to speak. You've extended kindness. And that kindness hasn't been returned. And I think Jesus is simply giving us the way of change. And he's saying the way of change is abiding, remaining, practicing my presence. You remember Jesus is the one who said, pray. For those who persecute you, love your enemies. Bless those who maybe are against you. Jesus is the one who says it. Jesus, I think, beautifully demonstrates what Paul says in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul said, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Isn't it true? Let's just be honest. You can because you're in the privacy of your home there, right? That we want to fight evil with evil. We want to fight fire with fire. Come on. We do, don't we? I do. He says, don't do that. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then he says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Let God be in control of it. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Jesus, if his feet are dirty, wash them. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head. He says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus is showing this profound picture of mercy, kindness in the face of cruelty. I don't want you to miss this. 
Because if you, you read the rest of the Jesus story, Jesus and Judas' relationship never reconciled. Like there isn't this fairy tale ending. If you read the story, Judas goes out and tragically takes his own life. It's not like they had this moment, this Hallmark movie moment, right? Where it all came together and everything was beautiful and everything was tied up with a ribbon. And yet Jesus in that moment extended mercy and kindness in the face of cruelty. You see, here's what I know. Jesus was illustrating to his closest followers this upside-down kind of greatness. Jesus was painting this picture of profound mercy and kindness. <laughs> there was something else going on. Because as Jesus, one by one, makes his way around the room, he eventually gets to Peter. And when he gets to Peter, look at what happens. He came to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, I don't know how you read the Bible, but it's okay to chuckle once in a while. It's like Jesus has made his way around the room. It's like, and then Peter's like, are you going to wash my feet? And you're like, well, what do you think, right? I've been washing everybody else's feet. So Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter says, no. It's in fact, in the original way it was written, it's emphatic. No, that's not going to happen. You'll never wash my feet. Not going to do it. And then Jesus says something I want you to see. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. There's something very, very important Jesus wants Peter to see. He's like, you don't understand it right now. But if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You don't abide with me. You don't remain with me. You're not able to practice my presence, is what he's saying. <laughs> well, Peter has a change of mind. Peter says, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love Peter, right? He's like, I want a bath. I want to go all in. Jesus says this, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean. You're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. It's interesting. When he gets to Peter, Peter's like, you're not gonna. And Jesus said, you have no part with me. Peter's like, give me a bath. What in the world is Jesus doing by washing their feet? This is so important. I want you to write this down. Jesus is teaching them and us, not just them, but and us, that an essential element to intimacy with him involves cleansing. L listen close to what I want to teach you, and this is where we're going to land today. But he's teaching them not only greatness is upside down, He's teaching them not only this profound picture of mercy, but he looks at Peter and he says, hey, listen, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You can't remain. You're not abiding. You're not practicing my presence. Like Jesus wanted Peter to know that an essential element of intimacy in relationship with him involved cleansing. Truth of the matter is, many times we read this and we don't get it because we read it and we're like Peter. We think it's all about serving, and it is about serving. We think it's all about Jesus being extremely merciful, and it is. But there's so much more going on here. What is Jesus' point? Well, I think there's two when he comes to Peter. First is this. 
I think Jesus wants us to know the way of change is practicing the presence of Jesus. And practicing the presence of Jesus is humbly admitting I need his forgiveness. I need to be clean. Here's what I want you to remember. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is a very real sense in which every day Jesus is kneeling in front of you with a basin and a towel, just like Peter. And you don't need a bath. If you've said yes to Jesus, that's your bath. We are clean from our sins. Baptism is the beautiful picture of that. We've been baptized, so to speak, right? But here's the deal. Even as a follower of Christ who has had a bath, sometimes, sometimes I get dirty. Listen, you're in the privacy of your home. You can do this. Raise your hand if you've ever had a bad attitude. Your wife's like, boom, right? Raise your hand if you've ever done something wrong. Better yet, raise your foot if you've ever had a bad attitude. Raise your foot if you've ever had a bad habit. Here's what Jesus wants you to know. If you got your foot in the air, right? If you're like, what? If you're in a cafe, you look really funny right now, right? But if you got your foot in the air, Jesus is just saying this, is that we have stinky feet, spiritually speaking. Say that out loud. My feet stink. Say it out loud. Or say it this way. I got spiritual toe jam. Say it that way, right? That's all Jesus is saying. He's just saying this, that, that sometimes my feet get dirty and practicing the presence of Jesus means daily recognizing he is kneeling in front of me with a basin and a towel. You know what I know? A lot of times I'm like Peter. A lot of times I'm like Peter and I won't put my stinky feet, so to speak, in the basin for different reasons. You're the same. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's pride. I want everybody to be impressed with me and I don't want anybody to ever think I got anything going on wrong. I don't got any spiritual toe jam in my life, right? Sometimes it's just denial, right? Just denial. My feet don't stink, right? I'm not got anything wrong. Sometimes the reason I won't put my feet in the basin, so to speak, is because I get used to my stinky feet. I just kind of get used to it. Or maybe I just compare it to others. My feet don't stink as bad as his feet. I don't do things that are as wrong as him. Here's what John says. If we claim to be without sin, we're only lying to ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and there's the key, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word's not in us. What he's saying is if we claim we have no sin, the Jesus that is kneeling in front of us today, right there, we're looking at him and we're saying, you don't know what you're talking about. That's what he's saying. See, here's the deal. You there in your living room, what would it mean for you today, quarantined away, to put your stinky feet in this basin of grace that Jesus offers? and to allow him to clean your life with the towel of forgiveness. It starts by acknowledging it. 
It starts by humbly recognizing that I graciously need to, to accept his forgiveness that he extends to me. But there's something else going on here. And I think this is where sometimes we like to just skip right past it. But Jesus says something else in John 13. He says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. And then he says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. If you do what? Go serve each other? Sure. If you go extend mercy to others? Sure. But I think it's so much bigger than that. What in the world is Jesus saying? I think he's saying this. I think he's saying practicing the presence of Jesus is humbly extending forgiveness to others. I think he's saying, I kneel in front of you, offering you a basin of grace and the towel of forgiveness. And he says, now I want you to go do that for each other. You remember when he taught him how to pray? He says, Father, will you forgive us as we forgive each other? Here's the assumption. The assumption is that I need forgiveness from Jesus and that I'll need to extend forgiveness to others. And I think what Jesus is saying is this, if I, your Lord and Master, am willing to wash your feet, if I'm willing to lap the water of forgiveness over the stink of your life, if I'm willing to wash away the dirt and the toe jam in your life, Dan, who are you? Who are you not to extend the basin of grace and the towel of forgiveness to your wife, to your children, to your coworkers, to your neighbors? I think that's what he's saying. Can I ask you this? What would it look like for you right there in your living room, in the midst of the coronavirus quarantine, to begin to extend the basin of grace and the towel of forgiveness to others in your life. What would that look like? I don't know what's going on, and I don't know exactly what you're thinking about, but we got a lot of time to think nowadays, don't we? And I don't know how this story leans into you. For some of you, you've had time to think, and maybe that time to think is the very thing you've needed because maybe the takeaway of this story is for you to realize Jesus is kneeling in front of you today. And maybe for the first time, it's you putting your feet in, in that basin of grace and saying, God, I got some bad attitude. I got some bad habits. I don't treat my wife very kindly. I'm not available to my children. I don't know, whatever it might be. And maybe this is your chance just to put your feet in the basin of grace and let Jesus begin to wash with the towel of forgiveness. For some of you, it may be the opportunity because you're kind of holed up with somebody in your living room, in your house, and that might be the very person you need to extend the basin of grace to. It might be your wife, might be your husband, might be your kids. You know, 
maybe you as a family want to go get a bunch of uh, wipes and, 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 and just wash each other's feet. They're in your living room. Like, well, that's weird. Yeah, it might become a go-to story for you because you might illustrate what Jesus was trying to teach and it might be a chance for you to teach your kids about what greatness really is, about what profound mercy really looks like, and about the importance of intimacy with Jesus involves cleansing. And when I receive that cleansing, I extend that cleansing. Here's what I know. This story, I think, would have been a go-to story for the disciples. Do you remember the night Jesus washed our feet? I don't think they ever forgot it. Maybe 2020, quarantined away, coronavirus with your family will become a go-to story for you where you can begin to embrace what Jesus had to say about greatness and begin leveraging your life for others, where you can begin thinking about somebody in your life who you can somehow extend profound mercy to, or where maybe you can begin thinking about what it would mean for you to receive this cleansing from Jesus and extend the very same thing to others in your life. Will you pray with me? Father, I just I thank you for my friends watching this. I thank you that uh, we have the opportunity to gather virtually. I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that Jesus gave us this, this really incredible picture. God, I pray that you'd help us to embrace this picture. God, I pray that you'd help us to kind of allow it to, to be something in our life that we allow you to change us because somehow we begin to believe that greatness really is different than we believed. And that we would begin leveraging our life for the sake of our wife, our kids, our neighbor, our friends. God, that we might extend kindness and mercy to somebody who's, who's not been that kind to us. And that we would somehow let go of revenge, begin to love and pray for people who maybe aren't that easy to love and pray for. And God, ultimately, I pray that you'd help us to see Jesus kneeling in front of us with a basin of grace and a towel of forgiveness, and that we would be humble enough to confess and admit we need cleansing, and that in doing that, we'd experience a deep intimacy with Jesus. But, oh God, help us to get up and extend that very same basin of grace and towel of forgiveness to others in our life. Heal marriages, restore relationships, because we decided to practice the presence of Jesus in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.